Greetings to those who watch below. Before we start today's video, as always I'd like to say a huge thank you and give a big shout out to those who dwell below, an exclusive channel membership that will get you shout outs at the start of every video. To check it out, take a look in the description box. Also, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel, click on that notification bell so you know when the latest video goes live. So thank you to Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Jess Black Curtain, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, and Christina Groves. Today we are continuing with our paranormal tour of the US, with today's stop being Kentucky. Pike County, Kentucky. Tall Dark Man with Horn-Rimmed Glasses by BFMan67 I grew up in the mountains of eastern Kentucky. I lived in a number of coal camps, towns built for the families of the miners that worked in the mines. One town in particular, Greenough in Pike County, was the site of my story. My twin sister and I were in the first grade. We walked to and from school with two of her older sisters and our brother. Normally there was a whole group of us walking to and from school. On this particular day, about seven or eight of us in a group stopped in front of our house and were laughing and talking before we went in. My dad worked on the coke ovens in a little town called Allegheny about three miles away. My mum and a friend ran a restaurant just up the road near the coke ovens. We were early latchkey kids, I suppose. Anyway, we were standing in front of our house when one of the kids asked, Who's that standing in the window? We all looked, and sure enough there was a man standing looking out the front window at us. Now this was not cause for undue concern. We had a fairly large extended family, and occasionally a family member came visiting, and my mum would give him or her a key to get in the house until she or my dad would get home. This fellow, we did not recognise though. Anyway, we left the group and went in the house. We were surprised to find the front door was still locked. We yelled and hollered, trying to find our guest. But try as we might, no one was to be found. An hour or so later, we were out in the backyard playing ball with several of our friends, some of whom we had walked from school with. One of the kids pointed to an upstairs window and shouted, There he is again! Sure enough, there he was watching us again. I want to stop here and describe this elusive chap for you. He was fairly tall, had black hair, dark horn-rimmed glasses, wearing a dark brown suit, which we didn't see a lot of, being in a small eastern Kentucky coal camp. We split into two groups. One group went in the back door, while the other went in the front door, locking the doors behind us. Same story, after searching the house from top to bottom, he was not found. The doors were still locked from the inside, so he couldn't have slipped out. Our friends decided it was time to go on home, so most left immediately. The rest sort of wandered off, until only my sisters and brother were left, and if we had somewhere to go, we probably would have wandered off too. Several incidents happened when we saw this fellow, but the most intimate one, for me anyway, I'll relate now. I had been pestering one of my older sisters. I was just fulfilling a younger sibling's obligation, don't you know? Anyway, she had reached the breaking point, and I knew that retreat was the wisest choice. So, I ran through the house and down the basement stairs. Someone in the past had enclosed the space under the basement stairs to make a small storage space. I had claimed this space as my hideout, I hit the floor of the basement, ran around and into the hideout. There was a light hanging down a length of wire, 
so I reached up and pulled the chain, flooding the space with light. There, not two feet away, stood the tall man with the horn-rimmed glasses. I quickly turned and ran smack into my sister, who had anticipated where I was headed. I quickly, but with considerable stuttering, told her what I had seen. We both turned around and looked, but the fellow, once again, had vanished. We got to telling folks in the neighbourhood that we thought the house was haunted. One old lady, I think she was Noah's bookkeeper or navigator, said that the fellow that had lived in the house was, years before, the superintendent of the mining operation, and, though no surprise to us, matched exactly the fellow we had been seeing. He had been killed in the mine several years before we moved into the house. We also found out that his house had been the company clubhouse, the house where the superintendent lived and where visiting officials stayed in town. All this happened back in 1953-54-ish, but I remember it as if it happened yesterday. We moved out not long after that. One of my dad's friends rented the house, and about a month later came visiting us, asking if we had seen any strange things there. They went on to describe a man they had seen there, a tall man, with black hair, wearing dark, horn-rimmed glasses, in a dark brown suit. The Kelly Hopkinsville Encounter The Kelly Hopkinsville Encounter, also known as the Hopkinsville Goblins case and the Kelly Greenman case, was a claimed close encounter with extraterrestrial beings in 1955 near Kelly and Hopkinsville in Christian County, Kentucky. On the evening of August 21, 1955, five adults and seven children arrived at the Hopkinsville police station claiming that small alien creatures from a spaceship were attacking their farmhouse and they had been holding them off with gunfire for nearly four hours. Two of the adults, Alma Sutton and Billy Ray Taylor, claimed they had been shooting at 12 to 15 short, dark figures who repeatedly popped up at the doorway or peered into the windows. Concerned about a possible gun battle between local citizens, four city police, five state troopers, three deputy sheriffs, and four military police from nearby U.S. Army Fort Campbell drove to the Sutton Farmhouse, located near the town of Kelly in Christian County. Their search yielded nothing apart from evidence of gunfire and holes in window and door screens made by firearms. Residents of the farmhouse included Glennie Lankford, her children, Lonnie, Charlton and Mary, two sons from a previous marriage, Alma Lucky Sutton, John Charlie Sutton, and their respective wives, Vera and Aline. Aline's brother, O.P. Baker, and Billy Ray Taylor with his wife, June. Both the Taylors, Lucky and Vera Sutton, were reportedly itinerant carnival workers that were visiting the farmhouse. The next day, neighbours told two officers that the families had packed up and left, after claiming that the creatures had returned at about 3.30 in the morning. The family's claims received widespread coverage in local and national press. Early articles did not refer to Little Green Men. The colour was later added to some newspaper stories. Estimates of the size of the alleged creatures varied from 2 to 4 feet, and details such as large pointed ears, claw-like hands, and eyes that glowed yellow with spindly legs later appeared in various media. Some ufologists compared the alleged creatures to gremlins, which have since often been referred to 
as the Hopkinsville Goblins in popular culture. Ufologist Alan Hendry wrote that this case is distinguished by its duration and also the number of witnesses involved. Project Blue Book listed the case as a hoax, with no further comment. The Slave House by Miss Charlotte I was 12 or 13 when I went to the house locals call Flint Ridge in Logan County, Kentucky, so it was about 2004 or 2005. My family is interested in old houses, so when we went to Flint Ridge, it was just another old house my parents brought me to. My parents were acquaintances with the owners of the place. No one was living in the house, but it was in the process of being restored for future residents. I knew nothing of Flint Ridge when we pulled onto the tree-lined driveway, but I had a slightly sickening feeling in my stomach just as we pulled in. The old federal house, with its narrow windows, rested at the end of the drive, and an expansive lawn lay in front of it. Everything was fine, and my family and the friends that came with us chatted and looked around the front yard. It was a very old house. For Logan County, a house from 1803 is ancient. We walked on the front porch, and someone tried the front double doors, and they opened. It had not been locked at all, and the owners did not know we were coming. We walked inside, and the house was a treasure. Everything was as it was in 1803, and was being beautifully restored. I may not mind living in such a lovely house, but an uneasy feeling kept creeping on me the entire time, and it became stronger and stronger. We went upstairs and there was a little room. It was a room within a room, and a little door that led to a built-out area hung open. I couldn't go into this room. Something didn't seem right, and a powerful feeling of dread came over me. As I walked down the steps with my father, I felt somewhat upset. I had mentioned earlier to my mother I didn't really like it here. Everyone else seemed fine. Right when we got into the van, it happened. I burst out in a frenzy of wails and sobs and screams. I dejectedly cried and suddenly started screaming, That house is evil! Evil is there! A bad house! That house is evil! Darkness lurks there! Demonic! Evil! 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 That was all I could say, and my parents and friends looked at me in a stunned manner. They didn't know what to say. I was engulfed with an overwhelming feeling of terrible dread and anguish when I stepped out of that house. Though I felt a little bit of sadness, a force of great evil had made itself known to me. It was evil that I felt, and more than anything else, if evil is too broad a word, then a great feeling of wickedness, immorality, and wrong. I was weeping as if a loved one had just died in front of me. My mother tried to calm me, but it was no use. My uncontrollable tears poured out of me, and I know, to this very day, that something very dark and sinister lurks in Flint Ridge. But that is only part of the story. As I noted earlier, I knew nothing of the house before going into it, nor did my parents. But my parents asked some locals about the history of Flint Ridge. Flint Ridge had been built by a very wealthy man in 1803, so wealthy that he also had a townhouse in the town of Russellville, about 15 minutes north of Flint Ridge's location. It is called the Washington House. This planter had many slaves. It was at Flint Ridge where he not only had his plantation, 
that slaves were sold and auctioned. The current owners of the house also found an outbuilding with shackles in it where people would have been chained to the walls. All of this information was known to me after my experience, and is only a hint to the atrocities that would have occurred there. All the torture, rape, murder, and degradation of people, as is what came with slavery. After the fact, I also learned about the ghostly experiences of others. A man claimed to have been doing restoration work on some scaffolding on the house, and said he saw an elderly African-American man on the front lawn. The old man carried a cane. For literally two minutes, the man said, they silently looked at each other in the eye. He jumped down from the scaffolding to confront the man, and he was gone. Another worker on a different occasion said he saw an old cane in the very room I didn't want to go in. He said that evening the cane disappeared. Some ghost hunters also went to Flint Ridge one night, and as they stood on the front lawn and had locked the doors, the front double doors literally blew open as if a gust of strong wind had pushed them. I attest that my experience is true, and I am convinced that I was feeling the horrible things that must have taken place at that house. This event disturbed me so much that I am still having nightmares about it, and I hope to never go there again. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Highlands Haunting by Running to Meet the Moon When I was twenty, I moved into my first apartment, which was an older home in the Highlands area of Louisville. It was a beautiful home, and the rent was super affordable for the area. Despite sensing a feeling of a presence during the walkthrough, I was still excited to move in. It didn't take long for paranormal activity to start. One evening, my roommate and I were hanging out in the living room, and all of a sudden, a picture frame and books flew off the built-in bookshelf next to us, as if they were pushed off. I think it's important to note that these were very deep built-in shelves. If the frame and books had just fallen over, it would still have been in the shelf. We just looked at each other, completely in shock of what had just happened, and trying to rationalise how it could have happened. But knew, unless they were pushed, they wouldn't have flown off the shelf the way they did. The next occurrence happened when I was in the shower. I saw a tall, dark figure walk past the shower door, and assumed it was my roommate, since he was tall and his work uniform was black. I started talking to him, but got no response, and didn't see anyone pass by again. When I got out of the shower, I went round to the other side of the bathroom to the sink vanity area, and said, Hello, did you hear me? Only to come around the corner to find no one there. I looked in the adjoining closet. Still nothing. At this point I was feeling scared. I called my roommate and asked if he had been home and had come into the bathroom. His reply was, I have been here at work all day. I won't be home until tonight. I remember hanging up, getting dressed as quickly as possible, and leaving the house and calling my roommate back to tell him what happened and to call me when he gets home 
because I didn't want to be there alone. A few weeks later, I was just waking up and laying in bed, when the bedroom door slammed shut. It was slammed with such force that I was stunned. I thought it had to be my roommate, or maybe one of our friends had spent the night, and thought it would be funny. I went straight to his room, and found it empty. I went to every room of the house. Empty. I looked outside, and my roommate's car wasn't outside either. I called him, asking if he had been home and had slammed my door shut. He replied that he had gone out after his closing shift the night before, and crashed at one of our friend's houses. I was so terrified that I literally grabbed my car keys and ran out of the home in my pyjamas and drove to my college campus. I sat in the library all day until my roommate got home. He was in shock that something else had happened. From then on, we started sleeping downstairs in the living room, and neither one of us would be there alone. Hoping to get some answers, we approached the landlord and asked if any other tenants had experienced activity like we were experiencing. She was very short in her replies and wouldn't give a direct answer. Next, we contacted the Kentucky Ghost Hunters Society for help. We only told them we had been having activity, and they sent paranormal investigators and a medium. As soon as the medium walked up the stairs towards my bedroom, they stopped, and said there is a dark figure standing in the door of that room. It is not a good spirit. I left at that point, due to feeling overwhelmed by what was happening. The medium also detected the spirit of a child around the age of five, and the spirit of a man who was not a threatening entity, but just walked circles around my roommate's room. They said if we were to experience mischievous things, such as items falling over or things moving, it was most likely the spirit of the child. My roommate and I looked at each other, and then told the medium about the items on the bookshelf. The entity focused in my bedroom was the one they were most concerned about, and they communicated they feared it may be demonic and didn't want to leave. Naturally, I opted to move out shortly after. In the process of packing, I turned to set a box in the hallway, and as I did, I stepped into a misty cloud that disappeared as quickly as it had appeared. I didn't feel threatened by it, just confused as to what I had walked into. On my last day in the apartment, my mum came over to help me clean. When it started to get late, she told me to go on back to their house since I had a test in the morning, and that she would finish mopping the stairs. It wasn't long after I got home that she came home. I remember her face was pale, and she looked scared. When I asked what was wrong, she said she had been mopping the stairs, and heard someone pacing back and forth in the bedroom above her. Knowing my roommate had already moved out, and she was the only one there, she left as quickly as she could. I remember her telling me, I don't know how you live there. To this day, I don't know how I did either. Though years have passed, I still get the chills when I talk about the experiences I had in that apartment. Gates of Hell, The Casey Cemetery, by Illuminati33 My experience with the Gates of Hell has been a very eye-opening and somewhat amazing experience that is hard to believe even happened in the series of events that it did. I believe all things happen for a reason, and the synchronicity of these events have even further convinced me that this is true. 
Me and three friends decided to go to the cemetery one night, just out of boredom. Problem is, I had taken some clonopins before we left. I won't go into it too much, but the reality is, when I take those, I become possessed. Or as others would say, blacked out. I remembered nothing about the experience of going there that night with my three friends. Fast forward to a few nights later. I'm outside talking on the phone walking around my driveway. All of a sudden, I see something that I will never forget. A green ball of light appeared very close to me in the air. It was only there for a brief moment. However, it got my attention. I mentioned it to a couple of people and dismissed it as something strange that I just happened to catch a glimpse of. Well, a few days later, one of the three friends calls out of nowhere and asks if I want to go back to the gates of hell. And I did want to, because I had no memory of going there the first time and really wanted to see it. So we go during the day. Nothing strange happened. I just took a few pictures and we left. This, however, caused me to sort of become a little hooked on the place, so I looked into the history and lore of the cemetery, and what caught my eye was the fact that one of the biggest ghost stories of what is witnessed at the gates of hell is a green orb that flies upwards and away. Since this matched what I saw, me and my friend decided to go again, this time at 3am. It was very foggy, and the feel and energy of the moment really was coming together, but I couldn't believe what happened next. We were ten minutes or so away from reaching the gates of hell, when me and my friend's conversation led her to telling me that on the first night we originally went, the night I have no memory of even to this moment, she tells me the most important part of this whole situation. She says while I was possessed high on the clonopins, that I was going around bashing tombstones, knocking them over and trying to destroy the graveyard. I have made the mistake on clonopins for years in the past, and know that when I hear these types of stories, that it's true, and my demon was in control. But this put the story together. I disrespected the tombstones at the gates of Hell Cemetery, so the green orb followed me home, and made sure it got my attention. I realised this ten minutes before we were about to get there. This went from what was going to be a cool ghost hunt attempt, to all of a sudden making me very serious that all things happen for a reason, and I needed to make peace with whatever I pissed off. We got there, and it was dead silent. We parked the car and turned it off. Fog surrounded the car for a bit, as I sat inside and observed my surroundings. While I was concerned with physical people, I had read about rituals being done there, or stories of rednecks chasing people off. The fog surrounded the car, and slowly disappeared, as if the fog was observing us and had checked us out. When I finally stepped out of the car, the fog was completely gone, and it was dead silent. My friend was terrified, so she stayed in the car. I actually had my head on straight, with no fear at all, which I am proud that I managed to do. I wanted to try and make things right, with whatever green orb type entity that was trying to get my attention at my house, which I assume was a sign of anger and disappointment. So I felt I needed to put out the energy of love, and ask for forgiveness. However, in the middle of me trying to explain myself, I started to hear something moving in the woods. You have to understand, it was dead silent. Then, the footsteps breaking the twigs in the woods moved towards me, and since I was unprepared and unarmed for any sort of conflict, I went quickly to the car and told my friend to get the hell out of there. 
She kind of drove a little wild. Trying to get out of there, she was startled. However, we got out safe and sound. She did, however, mention, feeling a presence that was attached to the car. I didn't feel anything. As I researched a little more, I noticed something that is called the spook, who runs people off from the gates of hell, which I figure seems to be what happened. I'm worried that I may not have done or finished whatever I was supposed to do to fix the situation. I can only pray that everything has worked out the way it was supposed to. My late night tip. Don't mess with the gates of hell. The Casey Cemetery in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to hit that like button. And also, if you haven't already, subscribe to the channel, clicking the notification bell so that you're aware when the next video goes live. So, until next time, sleep tight. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.